reported by and do not reflect those of the Evening Rush Network. Viewer's discretion is advised. Hi, welcome back to the Chris and Nina podcast. I am Chris, and I'm joined today by Imelba. Um, Nina took some time off today, so I have a, a host, my co-host today, Imelba. And we are also joined by Elman, who's also going to be on the show today. Um, Imelba, how was your week? Fantastic. So can I share a little bit about myself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Anaba Martinez. I am a Keller Williams real estate agent. I'm also a landlord. Been a landlord now in New York City, right? So it's like a veteran. Like I've been a landlord for 20 plus years. Definitely uh, crazy out there. So this week for me, kind of is like a great week because um, I've been successful in helping my apartment become vacant after a long period of time of just. Um, just some challenges. That's right. I'm going to make that <laughs> some challenges as some small property owners may uh, experience, experience um, with people who may not necessarily be the best residents for them in their units. So yeah, but it's been a good week. How about and, yourself? Um, my week was wonderful. Um, I took some calls about um, a couple of folks in foreclosure. So I have some appointments to strategize and help them face the challenge of, of negotiating with the bank so that they can um, get out the situation and unburden themselves with the debt and get a fresh start. Um, what about you, Elman? He's like, what? It's, it's been a great week. It's been a great week. I was trying to decide if I should keep my glasses on or take them off. I just couldn't couldn't tell. But you like the anyway, I, look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great week. The Urkel, y'all, I need is So how was your week? It was good. It was a good week. Very, very busy. Um, you know, I was able to actually maneuver some, some, uh, some interesting roads myself in terms of uh, just clients and dealing with different things. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I am Elman Woodson. I am the principal of Woodson Law. Uh, we do. We focus primarily on real estate and about helping buyers and sellers get from the uh, contracts uh, signing all the way to closing. So um, uh, that's what I do, uh, and it's been it's been a great journey. I, I've really enjoyed it, and I really enjoy working with clients. I enjoy working with people, and it's been a, a great great experience. I've had I've had some very interesting uh, experiences, and I can't wait to share them with you all today. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, listen, you know, um, real estate can be fun. It can make you a lot of money, but it also can bring you some stress and some challenges. And so there's just so much to there's so many people involved and there's so many different situations that when you're dealing with tenants, when you're dealing with closings, um, when you're dealing with um, 
sellers and buyers and trying to it, it's like a marriage. It's you, you marry the seller and the buyer, you get them together and they form a union and then they pass the baton of the property from the old owner to the new owner. And so that there's so a, like they get divorced. Yeah, you, you get a divorce <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you sell the property. <laughs> That's a, you know, that's maybe on that end. And then you, the marriage is the new, the new owner. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting um, field to be in and there's so many ups and downs and challenges. And, um, you know, it's interesting this week I had a, a woman, uh, she lived in a house for 60 years. So um, she's, since she was two years old. And so now she's, um, being forced by the banks because um, there's a situation with the mortgage. I don't, I don't know the particulars in and out. And at this point, it's just she's in foreclosure, and it's just to to pull that train back and stay in that situation is going to be a huge challenge. So, on one hand, you know we could see if there's any options. On another hand, you know we have to prepare people to transition to a, to a better situation. Because unfortunately, she's in foreclosure. Um, I mean, I was going to say, you know, in my past life, I also worked with homeowners who are facing foreclosure and helped them uh, get modifications. This is like way back when in the Obama days when they had the affordable housing, uh, affordable homeownership programs out there, HAMP and all these other programs. And it's really hard, right? So someone who's lived in the home for a long time. And I've seen people come to the office with bags, like bags of like letters yes. and unopened letters because they did not want to know what was going on. Like some people are just kind of like blinded. Like the minute that they get into this debt, they don't know what to do because and it's right. them out. Like I've seen people like go to, they've been to the hospital, all types of things, just because they're super stressed about not being able to pay their mortgage and things can happen, right? You yeah. mortgage, you're not paying your mortgage because health issues, medical bills, uh, lost your job, you know, all these things during COVID. And especially during COVID, they were giving owners forbearances. Mm -hmm. But really, what were you doing? Like the bank wasn't like, oh, you know, I'll give you a forbearance and I won't charge you any interest or anything. No, they tack it onto the end. So when the forbearance is over, surprise, you still got to pay this. But we just gave you a break. And so people thought that was like a good thing. But it is in long shot, you still the bank still wants their money. So right. I could only imagine living there for 60 years. First of all, I could imagine how the house must look if she didn't renovate it over 60 years. But that's tough, <laughs> right? You know, you know what? I had this one person I was dealing with in foreclosure. He had a carpet in his bathroom and then he had mirrors. From the dining room to the living room, it was it was really only thing we was missing was a strobe light. But I'm sorry, I just had to share. No, but yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like wow. people, people were living in their homes for a long time, and it's become very emotional. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's a challenge for people to detach from that. And that's why it takes sometimes so long for someone to actually even like call for help, yes. right? Because they don't know what to do. And then you know, I'm just gonna say people of color. We don't want, you know, we prideful, right? We don't want to, we don't want to tell nobody, you know, about because you know you was excited when you bought the house. I bought this house. I got this house. But now you're like, I ain't, you know, I got, don't tell nobody about business. Like all those different things are happening, right? And then you don't tell anybody, and then it's too late, you know. Yeah. So I definitely, I, you know, I feel for her, but I bet you what she doesn't realize that once this is over, 
that she's gonna feel lighter. Yes. She's not gonna feel stressed anymore about the perch about the house, about the maintenance of it. Because if you're not paying your mortgage, you're probably not investing in any other things that are happening in the house, right? Yeah. So you know, hopefully she'll look at this as a light at the end of the tunnel versus like doomsday, mm. right? So yeah, that's, I that's guess an interesting point you brought up there about the foreclosures and how emotional it is. Especially when you deal with a, like, so for example, just like you said, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but sometimes it's hard for people to look at or to deal with difficult situations, right? And people sometimes they don't want to have to address a difficult situation. Um, and sometimes it causes anxiety. And just like you said, they don't want to look at the mail and see that, oh, there's a foreclosure on the property. I have to do something. They'd rather just hopefully put their head in the sand and hopefully it'll just go away. Yes. But the problem is, is that, the, the best way to deal with a tough issue is to address it head on. And, and even though it may cause anxiety, even though it may not be the best situation, sometimes it's just, hey, you know, sometimes it's through no fault of your, I mean, you just like you said, it could have been a health issue. It could have been other family members that did something. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that you, it's, it's best to just address it right then and there. But the other problem, just like you said, is, is particularly in, uh, in, in, in uh in communities of color sometimes it's, it's hard for us to ask for the help and 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 sometimes instead of asking for the help we want to just oh, i'll just handle it on my own but sometimes you need some help sometimes you need some guidance from a professional someone someone who's been in the industry who knows what's going on who can at least give you a word or or some some guidance to say go here they can help you um especially but the but the anxiety part when you're dealing with the loss of your house, the roof right. over your head, the one place that you call your sanctuary, your house, your place of solace, that's stressful, very stressful. So, I mean, I just I just got on here because I, I agree with everything you just said, but I just think that it's so important to, you know, if you are dealing with these types of things, go find somebody who can help you. You know, yeah. like, you know, the, the truth is all of us have had, tra have had difficult times, difficult situations, and there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you, you know, you know, good. It's just you're going through something. So if you need the help, ask for it. You know what I was gonna say? I've actually been my you know, full transparency as a teenager, my mom uh, lost her house to bankruptcy and she had to, you know, actually through foreclosure, she had to do bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And I at that time I didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh, we just moved from place to place. People in high school were like man, you move in another place? Like, they were really trying to play me. But um, at the end of the day, they were, they were like, you like you live in where now? I felt like I lived like, in, in my, like, sophomore year. Like, I went from, I went extreme. Right? We went from New York to, like, Texas. Then we came back to New York. Mm. And then we moved, like, two other places. So by, like, senior year high school, they were like, how many places have you lived? I was like, mind your business. You had a lot of stamps. <laughs> I was like, right? It's more like neighborhood stamps, Ozone Park, like Woodhaven. Like we were all over the place. But needless to say, <laughs> at, there was light at the end of the tunnel, and my mom was able to acquire another property and then another property after that, right? Because then she kind of like got herself self together, knowing like this is what she needs to get done. So we hold on to something, and sometimes we just have to let it go and start fresh and be able to start anew. How you doing, Ona? Um, yeah, so Element, in, in your field, do you face any challenges or any difficult situations that arise? Oh, man. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and I was just thinking of uh, particularly with uh, landlord tenant. I've had a couple of uh, sellers, mm. who, you know, they've good. they've um, had been interested in selling their property, but uh, specifically, like they had a, a one lady who was selling her property. Um, it was a three unit, and um, and she was selling it to an investor. She had uh, three units in it. All of them were on a tenant. They had tenants in the properties, but the, the investor wanted the property to be vacant. Mm, um, as they always do. As they always do, right? Because they, I guess they you know, wanted to do whatever they're going to do with it. And everything was fine. We were, <laughs> we were moving along fine. The, 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 all three tenants said, yeah, I'm fine. I, can, I don't have a problem moving out. We're starting to get closer to closing, to the time for closing. And then um, uh, the two tenants move out, no problem. And then one tenant said, and I could tell he had talked, he had talked to somebody because he, mm-hmm. he what he said was, um, I refuse to self-evict unless you give me uh, I think it was I think it was twenty-five or thirty thousand, thirty thousand wow. dollars. So in that situation, my 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 seller was just she was frantic. She was like, I can't believe this is happening. What's gonna what am I gonna do? I'm gonna lose the, the sale, I'm not gonna be able to sell the property, they're not gonna want it, all these different things. And uh, my my first response to her was that, uh, well, listen, it doesn't mean you can't sell the property. It doesn't. It just is just. We just. This is where we begin the negotiation. This is where we begin to figure out what does the seller, what does the tenant want. And I've I've talked to some uh, other other individuals, some brokers before, just about this, just about this whole this whole thing, because sometimes in those situations, the sellers get so frantic, and they're like. Well, I can't do anything. This is going to kill my deal. But everything is negotiable. <laughs> everything yeah. is negotiable. And, yep. uh, you know, in negotiation, the, the thing that's the most important is that uh, in negotiation, you have to give in order to get. Sometimes you have to give up something in order to get something. Sometimes you have to mm-hmm. um, and vice versa for both parties. So in that situation, like when that first happened, I asked her, I said, so what, you know, what does this individual one have you spoken to oh no i don't want to talk to him he, he didn't pay his rent on time and this that no that's okay so i said so can do you mind me talking to him because i you know i'm gonna need to at least find out what what he wants yeah. and what he wanted was he wanted money he said i refuse to self-evict unless you give me thirty thousand dollars now mm. now yeah i know i know it's a it's a it's a tough situation now the house you know i forgot exactly how much it was going for i think it was like almost 700,000, something like that. She paid off the mortgage and everything. So the whole check was going to be hers. Right. And so it was going to yep. be, she was going to make a significant amount of money. And I, when I went back to her and I told him, I said, Hey, listen, he wants $30,000. Now the down payment was, I think 40, something like that. I said, um, you know, you know, are you willing to give this guy $30,000 in order for him to move out of the property and for you to, get you know to sell the property and her first response was no i'm not giving him anything i'm not giving him a dime he's been the worst tenant this that and other i said (laughs) okay so i said then you know what what else do you want how else do you want to handle this and you know no no response (laughs) so it was just like i was like so you know what do you want me to do like it's the question because listen we could i can negotiate with him because i went back to him i said you know you know we, we went back forth over the numbers and things like that and uh, ultimately, he just stuck with the thirty thousand. For some reason, this thirty thousand was the number he wanted, and um, so we negotiated. 
And uh, needless to say, I, I told a long story short, you know, listen, um, are you willing to part with $30,000 in order to get the bigger check here? Because yeah. the, the, the buyer, the purchaser, the investor is not going to take it with any tenants in the, in the property. He already made, they made that very clear. They reiterated it several times. And so the question was, are you willing to separate with $30,000 in order to make this deal happen? And long story short, um, she was initially, and after, because at the same time, you remember, just like you said, that emotion, the emotion, emotion is yeah, so like, strong. Mad already at the tenant, although they yeah. paid, whatever was going on. But that's where professionals come in, because emotion can sometimes drive decision making, yeah, no. when in reality, in situations like this, it needs to be like more reason-based, more fact-based, like this, and this is where these are the facts, this mm -hmm. is where we are. How can we get this done? Rather than I hate this guy, he's this, that, and the other. They didn't pay them more. Blah 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 blah. Like, but how can we get it to where we don't have to deal with this guy anymore? We give him what he wants, and then we get out of it. So you know, we negotiated that, and we ended up giving him the thirty thousand. But we closed. We got the deal done. Okay. She was happy. She got her money. Um, and then also, what we had to do was draft uh, an article, a document, an agreement, and a surrender agreement to ensure that he knows that by him surrendering and taking this $30,000, he has no claim to the property. And it also, it's just a document that I had to draft that just said that, you know, he understands that by him leaving, by him paying, by him accepting that money, accepting those $30,000 and signing this document, you no longer have any right to the property. You've surrendered the keys. And it's just a long winded way of just saying that you refuse to, to, um, you will, you, you will not be able to say you have any claim to the property. So it was just a very interesting experience. It took a very long time. We went yeah. way over the time frame for the closing that we initially had, had uh, established. But at the end of the day, we ended up going, getting to the closing table and the investors paid her, no problem. And everybody was happy at the end of the day. And so you had two tenant situations. You had your own personal <laughs> and then you also had uh, one of your clients as well. Oh no! Is that a gunshot? What was that? Well, but I don't know. We, we are in Brooklyn now. No. This is true. Well, I, so I should have called you. But I had so currently I have a listing. It's a uh, three forty eight Hancock Street in Bed Stuy. It's a two family owner duplex with a rental on top, and definitely you know it's in, it's. I love Hancock because it's between Tompkins and Troop, and it's a great area to be in in Bed Stuy. So property was in contract, right? Bada bing, bada boom, the beginning of the year, we got it in and it was in contract. And at that time, it, the property had three tenants. So, you know, landlord tenant uh, laws have definitely changed after COVID, right? Back in the days you got, you had a judgment ready, marshals were next, right? And now, you know, you, you gotta go to court, you gotta go to court, you gotta go to court. And eventually, some you know, you hope and pray that you know you'll get a vacant apartment. And you know, from the landlord, from the tenant's perspective, it might not seem fair. But from the landlord, who's a small property owner, not getting any type of any income and having to pay out of pocket for your rental, you know, for your property, that's an investment property, is real challenging. So, at, so property was in contract. The uh, the traditional buyers, not investors, because investors are trying to low, low ball us. Traditional buyers 
they were like, okay, they'll they'll wait until the property gets vacant because we had the judgments. We had three tenants. One tenant didn't have wasn't going to eviction court. He was happy. He was going to leave on his own. The other two were in court, and we figured this would be a fairly quick process because they had already been in eviction prior to the pandemic, mm -hmm. which is another thing, right? The pandemic, it was like a black hole. Tenants were like, woo, fine, not to pay. But anyway, so long story short, properties in contract for almost three, four, and five, three to four months or whatever, rates change. Yes. This is a, this is a um, you know, this is a financing. So rates change on a million point four property that's a big, that's a big serious change in your down payment and yes. in your mortgage. And so the, the, ten, the prospective buyers decided not to move forward. Mm -hmm. And the owner, you know, many people have approached and I approached them saying like, listen, pay out, right? Like you just did, right? Which would you rather, you know, lose the money every month on your mortgage and taxes and insurance, all those different expenses than to just pay out. And so it has become an emotional entanglement with this owner but we're here today and today now there's only one tenant left in the unit and left in the property. And that tenant is actually, um, you know, part of being professionals, also connecting with other folks that connected this particular, particular tenant with another uh, realtor who does rentals. And she was able to connect this tenant with the rental. And now she's in lease and she should be moving out by September 1st. Right. So needless to say, the property now is vacant. So anybody, anybody, anybody out there, no. <laughs> anybody out it's there. It's a beautiful is a, You know, look it up. It's yes. So people get discouraged too, right? Like a buyer may look at this and be like, man, that house has been on the market for like ever. Yes, it has. But it was in contract and it fell through because of just what was happening with the tenants, right? And we want to make sure we deliver it vacant, right? Because it makes sense, right? You want to. What? What? No, a person oh. may want to do or or may move in with their family, take one floor and have their mom. Yeah, they wanted to move in. Yeah, they wanted to move. It's these particular buyers want to move in, fully gut renovate and make it happen and happy for them. But I just want to say something too fat past in the past. So I, I was a realtor in the past as well. And in the past, I had a six family abandoned in on halls that you just was this before Bed Stuy became Bed Stuy. And I never forget cash cash buyer, and they had a, a tenant slash property own manager living in the building, and so back in the days it was less less expensive to get somebody out. So picture Way, yes. picture this one now. So he's you know properties in contract delivered vacant. Me and the me and this you know being a realtor and a professional and being in got to be in the business. I was at that property like almost every day. Like, you good? Mm -hmm. You good? You ready to get out? I don't see you packing. Do you need a U-Haul? Let me know. I can help you out. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I left boxes. Let's just go. Let's make this happen. Right. So final day, final, you know, walkthrough. Everybody gets one. Investor and, and traditional buyer. A final walkthrough. The guy's unit is still filled with all his stuff. Mm -hmm. I almost fell out. I'm like, well, and so now the buyer is calling me like, oh, I, I want a discount because you said it's going to be delivered vacant. Yeah. Needless to say what the buyer did, because obviously I can't be in the house 24 hours, seven days a week. He spoke to this property manager and told him that you can become the property manager for this building when I buy it. So you, you're welcome to wow. stay here. Mm -hmm. 
I was like, so I was like, let me talk to this guy, property manager. Let me talk to you. Is it written anywhere? Is it in black and white? Do you have a contract? Mm-hmm. Anything here says that you have to get this, that you're going to be the, the property manager? No. So why do you think he's, why do you believe him? Yeah, right. So he's like, light bulb, okay. Light bulb went on. He's like, mm-hmm, okay, fine. So now I have to get him out. Mm-hmm. Owner who never met, he lives in Beverly Hills, came, calls me and is like, why isn't this house being sold? I said, the property manager doesn't want to move. He almost, this is, a, this is why you have to hire a professional like me. So <laughs> the, the owner is ready to call someone to, to like, to, this is way before, you know, these rules came up, to throw all this guy's stuff out the window. He's like, I will take all his stuff, get somebody in there and take all his stuff out. I'm like, no, let's not do that. So what we did was, I asked the, the person, I was like, what will help you to get out of this apartment? Hmm. Don't laugh. Let's be serious. He said a thousand dollars and an apology. That's what he said. He said, I just want a thousand dollars and an apology. Where I heard that, first of all, I think the apology was the hardest. That's all I wanted to say. The thousand dollars is nothing. Like, okay, sure. You sure? I just want to yeah. make sure. Are you sure? He's like, yes, just a thousand dollars and an apology. Because he figured the apology was never going to come. Mm-hmm. So let, I called the owner. I said, he wants a thousand dollars in apology. He said, I'm not apologizing to that guy. He's been living in there. I've been paying the water bill, I've been paying the light bill, the gas bill, and he hasn't paid it. That's like, yeah, but he's protecting your house because back then in Bed-Stuy, and still today, there's some blocks you could walk down and there's some blocks you had to run down. This yeah. is one of those blocks you had to run down. <laughs> so he's, like, he's been protecting your property very well. So... Mm-hmm. I said, just call him. I said, do you, co- do you still want to continue paying these bills? He's like, no. Call him and apologize. Just call him and tell him that you appreciate him. Yeah. He calls the man. The man calls me and he's like, oh my God. This is, you feel like this is a kid in the candy store. He called me and he apologized and he told me how much he appreciated me. And he said he's willing to give me $1,000 to move out. <laughs> <laughs> If only it was that easy, easy. right now. Yes, yes. People uh, want 30000 25000 100000 just to move out. 1960. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but needless to say, it's tough. It's tough being a property owner. And it's tough being someone selling these properties for these landlords. Excuse me. I have to step out for a second. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, Sean said uh, the hardest part of being a landlord is to get them to understand that we don't have to fix everything that breaks down. And then dealing with tenants, um, landlord court is another pain. Oh yes, it is. Once you go into the court system, the land, it's an uphill fight for landlords. It's yeah. more favorable um, to the tenants, right? Um Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of the things that uh, I forgot to mention was that when I first told her about thirty thousand dollars, about that's what the tenant that's what the tenant wanted, she was like, "Oh no, I'll take him to court." And I was like, "Well, remember, you take him to court, you know, you have Mm -hmm. you you have your attorney's fees. You also you're not guaranteed a win, and then the time frame. This guy could be in your property for a year, two years before you actually get a verdict on how what what's going to happen." So. I, uh, I, you know, if you can stay out of court, man, I always recommend try to negotiate it the best that you can. And especially for the landlords, I, I know they probably don't want to hear this, but if there's a way to 
give up a little so you can gain a lot and actually get the sale that you need to have the money, do it, you know, do it. Because sometimes, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm, I, 30000 is a lot of money. It I mean, is. Just no question. There's a lot of, it's a lot of freaking money. But there was, uh, th that, that was what we had to use in order to get the deal done. And uh, it was, it was just one of those things that she, you know, we were able to get it done, but she had to, had to release 30000 I think it's also about the tenants, right? So some people, like for example, like the landlord that I'm, the, the seller that I'm working with now, who did not, who does not want to give any money up, I had to, I had to work with the previous tenant to find them a place, right? So part of me being in the sales part of it, it was like I can help you vacate. So I was able right. to vacate one. I helped her to send. Now I had this other person, the last tenant there, who's um, working with another realtor to vacate, and then the other person. By the miracle of the world, he just pretty much walked out. <laughs> just, like, mm -hmm. just one night, he just left the building and never came back. So that was just like, that one was just like, I couldn't do that one. But at the end of the day, you know, if the tenants are people who are going to be cooperative and being a landlord for over 20 years, you got to know, you got to go with your gut, right? You got to interview people, right? Because even me, I have a tenant who I thought she was the greatest from when I met her, the well, let me not be that honest. Okay, I thought she was good, right? <laughs> she she showed she presented herself well, and there's an adult woman, a, a senior with two adult children, and somewhere somehow things went left, and mm -hmm. she started not wanting to pay. She's not answering her calls, so all these different things, and I guess sometimes people don't. We get so small properties get focused on the cash, like we need that money to you know, for our investment property to pay off whatever bills and things. But at the end of the day, you got to kind of know when to do business and you yeah. can notify somebody as early as six days if they don't pay their rent to let them know you want, you know, start doing judgment. Well, I don't want to interrupt you, but um, hi, Vet Green. Welcome to the show. Um, we're going to take a, a short break and we'll come right back and we can finish that thought um, when we come back after the break. Okay. Looking to podcast shows and do not know where to start? The Evening Rush Network can help you with that. Call us at 929-441-2417 or email us at theeveningrushnetwork at gmail.com for dates and prices. We got you for all your podcast needs. The Evening Rush Network. Tune in, subscribe, and share. Hey, welcome back uh, to the Chris and Nina Real Estate Podcast Show. Uh, we have Melba and Elman. Nina is um, out tonight. Um, so, Melba, you were speaking about a situation before. We yeah, so pretty much at the end of the day, it's what I feel like. So she left. I, I had started the eviction process, right? And you know, I can't believe this, but anyway, I'm gonna let it go. They gave her two months to, to, you know, before going to court, it was two months to vacate. And I'm not going to say in those two months, they were very pleasant with her being there. But at the end of the day, she left right before the timeline. And I think a part of it is also like I wasn't nasty to her. She Anything she needed to take be taken care of, I would take care of. She left the apartment when I tell you the she left it the way she found it. Yeah, I walked into that apartment. I was like, it's like she never even lived there. 
So, I've, I'll, you know, some it takes, you know, it takes a lot of biting your tongue when you're working with some <laughs> with some people because you know, at the end of the day, you're providing a service. Roof, and roof, all these different. You're providing a service for them, but you need to, you know. I think in Long Island they have 30 days to get out, right? It's not a long process in Long Island to evict, is it? I'm not sure in Long Island if it's, I know it's how a the little, process. It's a little. It's a. It's they. They're not as friendly as New York City. I know it's a so little. Don't don't little get different. yourself in Brooklyn or Queens because yes, or the Bronx. They will take forever to get you out. So I think sometimes too is just like I mean I've I've had my fair share of tenants and a lot of the times I've, they've left my apartment fine when they you know. You go through the eviction process, or I've had garnish people's checks, all those different things. Or you do some what I call light threats. You go to small or claims or standards. court. Yeah, I've gone to small claims court. I've gone to small. I have, let me just let this last story. Then we'll switch into something else. But I had a tenant. This is back in the days. If anybody remembers the MTA strike. But anyway, so I had a tenant. And, well, he was he worked for MTA. You're giving us a history I'm lesson. Saying, yeah, I'm so anyway, you, yeah, go ahead. so he so. He, so, you know, young guy, we were about the same age, so whatever. So he couldn't pay his rent. And so I said to him, and he owed me, I think, one or two months. And he's like, I have to move back with, to, with my dad. Like, I just can't, like, pay the rent anymore. I'm like, all right, cool. Cool. I said, as long as you, um, I said, come with me to the notary on the corner. I wrote a letter, and that letter I wrote that um, you will pay me back X amount of money, right? Whatever the rent was due, and or else we will go to eviction court. I didn't think he was gonna do it, but it was okay. He came with me to the notary, signed off, notarized letter, and then you know I said to him, you know, I want to make sure that I can forward my mail to you. Mm. I forward your mail and my mail, forward his mail to him. I was like, any mail that comes here, I wouldn't be able to forward it to you. So what is you? What's the address you're gonna be living in? Address. He gave me his address. He gave me his father's address where he was living. Mm -hmm. I, and I said, you know, by, I'm going to call you on this date and you're going to give me the money. He's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to give you the money that date. Calling him like a stalker. Calling, calling, calling. Never answered the call. I said, you mm -hmm. know what? This guy's playing games. Went to small claims court. I'm, like, I'm going to get my money. Like, I'm really going to give up. Went to small claims court. And he appeared at small claims court because I knew where he, I sent the, I knew the address. Yes, to serve him. To, where to serve him at. And went to small claims, why he was like, man, I, I spoke to my empty union lawyer and he was like, you signed off on this letter and it's notarized. It's like a contract. You're going to need to pay this lady back. Sean, sure, she's going to pull out some, some old school tokens. Whatever. <laughs> Shush up about the empty. He's like, that's okay. <laughs> Well, listen. I was this. This may be a little bit, uh, a little interesting. Do you watch the show P Valley? Anybody? Have you no. seen Show P Valley? I don't watch TV. No. Well, um, well, one of the characters on the show owns a owns a nightclub, and it's on the water, and so they're trying to build the casino. So she got offered five million dollars to sell the club that she bought for two hundred and fifty thousand. And she thought because they needed it for the casino that she was going to get ten million. And then they flipped it on her, and they were able to tear down and knock down trees and buy a whole other land on the water. And the woman only got two hundred fifty thousand oh. dollars. 
And so sometimes when you're dealing with tenants and landlords, they think that they can dominate and they can get what they want. And in the end, you lose because you're not you're not flexible in the negotiation. So instead of getting what you want or what you need because you're either being greedy or thinking your stance is more or, or more powerful, you, you can lose. Right. right. You know, so sometimes something is better than nothing. That's right. That's, that's the part I, about the negotiation. That's so important. Is that, yeah. That's the part about the negotiation is that, it, that there has to be some give to get. I mean, really. And, uh, you know, in order for sometimes you have to be willing to separate from a little bit to get a lot. And, um, you know, the, the, the tenant may not know what the sales price is, but as long as you can get them out, and yeah. do it in a way that's just fair for them and fair for you, you know, then that's, then you're winning. And yeah, yeah so. I think the seller comes out as a winner. Plus you could write it off in your taxes. And no, not only that, but if the seller loses the building, the, the tenant is still in, that, in a great situation. And then when you're going up against the banks, that's a whole other animal. Right. Because if, you, if you're a landlord and your tenant is not paying and you're trying to sell and you think you're going to get X profit, but you're not because now you haven't been paying your mortgage right so then you already your debt is higher right and you may run into the risk well not in new york because it takes like 10 years to get foreclosed on but um you run the risk of losing the house in the midst of all of this right and then the tenant doesn't really like mm -hmm. i think a lot of tenants think that oh you're a property owner you have mm -hmm. all these funds not necessarily we're small property owners just trying to make it happen for ourselves and for our family right. and for future generation right. you know just respect that and now if you're a bad landlord, then that's a different conversation, right? But if you're someone who's right. up on the up and up and trying to make it happen in the property, then, you know. Yeah, some tenants don't even know they, that we get water bills. Like, <laughs> we got to yeah. pay for water. Like, they don't even, they just rent an apartment. They don't understand all that comes with owning a property. I was going to say something. You, you had talked about um, Melba. Sorry, you. Had, I just want to jump in real quick. You you had talked about your your that experience that you had with that tenant, and one thing that's very important to have is things that clearly outlined in your lease. So, for example, you have like the when the payments are due, what can happen if they don't make the payments on time, what steps you're going to take. That those stuff should be clearly outlined so they can't say, "I was never told," or you know. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever told me how, you know, that I had to have my payment in within the first five days or, you know, or what would happen after they didn't do that. And it's very important to have a lease that specifically says, like, you know, listen, payments due this date. If the payment is not received by this date, blah, 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 is going to happen. This is what's going to it's going to trigger this. It's going to trigger this. It's going to trigger that. So um, I just wanted to say that. I agree. I, was... I think it's like anything in life. You, you know, you, you sign off but you don't really, how do you say, um, comply. Right. So I have a lease and I have a lease writer. And that lease writer went from like five things to almost like 20 things because throughout my experience, I'm like adding this. Yeah, adding that. Things. yeah. So they have to sign both the lease, which is a traditional lease, and then along with the lease writer based on my experiences with uh, previous tenants. But at the end of the day, some of them, some, some people just sign because they're in the, in the moment, but I don't necessarily read until, like I've sent people snapshots in a letter because you got to send everything certified, you know, return receipt, mail receipt, right? 
snapshots of their lease or their the lease right that says this is what you're supposed to be doing. Like I don't like people sitting in the front of the house. I'll send them a I'm like, remember, it's hot in the apartment. Get yourself an air conditioner or a fan. No need to sit in the front. <laughs> so, you know, those types of things. But um, I did want to just switch over because Elman, although he's not he's participating in this conversation, your def, your your space is more around um let's say sales transactions, right? Yeah, yes. So I don't yes. Know if you want to be able to share with us a little bit about, you know, you did share with us a little bit about that negotiating to get the thirty thousand dollars, but any if you want to offer any resources, tips, or even like one of your most horrible stories, though. So well, actually, I was gonna fl- I was gonna flip it and say, hey, let's also talk about the bright side. Yes, right? there's also some great tenants that shovel that yeah, um, that that alert you to some things yes, that you I- need to know about your property that can cost you a lot of money if you don't address it. There's some great aspects, but but Elman, you take the floor. Like just yeah, no problem. So I um I I primarily work with buyers and sellers of you know single families, condos, co-ops, multifamilies, things like that. Um, I think the the one of the the uh, and I think this is this is kind of basic, but I feel like it's important to say is, is that when you're going to make the purchase, when you're going to either sell or purchase a property, you know it's that it's important to have your team. It's important to have the people who you can trust your your realtor your lender your attorney the person the kind of all together because the last thing you want to do is get in a contract and you're like okay let me scramble to try to find this person let me scramble to try to find this person which mm-hmm. you know you kind of want to deal with people who like for example like in melbourne and melbourne knows other attorneys and melbourne knows other other lenders so for example <laughs> if if you if you need a, a realtor or she or she's a person to go to and then you she can if you don't know a lender you can ask her because I'm sure in her experience, she's dealt with people. So like, and then like with, with Chris, the same thing, you go to him, ask him for some guidance, ask him for like, Hey, do you know this type of person? Like how, who are the people who I should have in the, in the team that's so that way when we get rolling, we can just hit the ground running and then we get, get things done quickly. Um, because, you know, because, you know, although, you know, time of the time is of the essence, it's not like a contractual you know term right now right. for the, well, for, for for our purposes, but time is very important. Yes. Time, the timing of these things are very important. And then when you get to the contract, you want to have somebody who's who's been through some things, who can speak to some things. So for example, right. like, you know, it's it's simple, but it's in, important. So for example, you you go to purchase a house, if your attorney's not keeping abreast of the, the time frames of which you've gotten to the contract, the time frame for the mortgage commitment contingency, things like that. You could run the risk of losing your down payment if you don't stick within the time frame within the contract, or if the attorney is unaware of of of, you know, of uh, asking for an extension for those different things. And it's important to know how to deal with these things. It's important to have some people on your team who know how to address these issues. Um, so, so in dealing with buyers and sellers, it's, it's just uh, if you want to have your team set up, you want to have your team established. And that was the main thing that I really wanted to get to just uh, to just kind of convey to people because, you know, you know, the idea of purchasing property, the idea of becoming an investor, the idea of selling property. Yeah, it sounds great, but there are many parties involved in helping you, helping you get to the finish line. So you kind of want to have those people in place as quickly as possible at the very beginning. So that way everybody just flows through. No problem. 
I no, I, I concur. I always say the realtor is a nucleus. And so we, we kind of connect everybody. But I did want to ask a question. I had two questions for, for you as a uh, as an attorney. So where does the, the down payment go? Like, does it go into like a black hole? Like, you know, in the beginning, I got to give my down payment. Back in the days, it used to be earnest deposit, but it mm -hmm. kind of, we don't do that anymore, right? We go straight to the down payment. So if I'm giving 5% down of a, you know, $600,000 house, where's the, my money going? Is it going to you? Who, who, who has my money? <laughs> So the, the 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 down payment goes to the seller attorney's escrow account. Now we have, as attorneys, we have an escrow account. It's a very, like for example, for as real estate attorneys, our responsibility is to our clients. Our responsibility is, especially with regards to the escrow accounts, it's it's like a sacred account. It's our responsibility to hold those funds specifically for the purposes of getting to closing. So that so say for example, you said that six hundred thousand dollar house. Your five percent down payment is thirty thousand dollars. That thirty thousand dollars is going to be counted towards the, the 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 closing. So now you're closing. You only need to come to the closing with that five seventy, right? So the thirty thousand is already held. So it's already counted as you know mm -hmm. money that's already received towards the purchase. Now that thirty thousand dollars, the, the seller's attorney can't do anything with it. He can't just take it and go to the Bahamas. They they okay. can't just take it and sure. he or she can't just take that money and. And, and go have a party because it's being monitored. Our accounts are monitored by the state, by the board, all these places. So we, we can't just, we can't just go in and frivolously spend that money. That money is the purchaser's money. And so for example, like if there are situations where, you know, they're, they're interested in releasing those funds, you know, every, the, the attorneys have to sign up. We have to get permission from each other before we can make and do anything with that money. That money is very sacred. Like the other day, I had um, we had a closing a couple of weeks ago, but there was a post possession agreement. There was a, the sellers needed to stay in the property for another week, and um, after they had after they the sellers had um, come to the end of their post possession agreement. Um, no, hey, 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 one second, one second, buddy. I'm on a phone. I'm on a call. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Real life, right here. Real life. Make it. Oh, they just, they, just, they just come in. Uh, you gotta like lock the doors. <laughs> you gotta turn the lights out. <laughs> yeah, right. Hide behind something. <laughs> so the uh, the seller had stayed in there for the time period of the post possession. They cleaned up the house. The buyers came in and they they reviewed the property and everything was fine. So then the seller's calling me and he's like, "Hey, my you know my the sellers the the buyers have uh, they they're happy with the property. Everything's fine. When can I get my check?" And I said, hold on, man, hold on. I have to get authorization from the, the buyer's attorney that the seller, that the buyers were happy with the property. Mm. And then I have to get that permission to release the funds. I can't just write a check to you. Like I have the check, I have, I can write it, but I can't do anything with it until I get authorization from the other party, man. the other party's attorney to release the funds. So like he, I'm, I reach out to the, I reach out to the buyer attorney to just, check on you know the status of his clients and see if they had you know um you know what their thoughts were about the property but i couldn't do anything until he says you are authorized to release the funds so mm. those escrow funds are held they're sacred you know we hold those very it's 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 uh those are sacred funds that all across our industry we can't just go out and frivolously do anything with it i can't just write a check until i get authorization from from the other party to let them know this is what I'm doing with the funds. 
and everybody has to be knowledgeable. So it's uh, it's the escrow money is sacred money. Got yes. it. Yes. Got That's it. a long-winded way of saying it's sacred. sacred. Okay, yes. got it. Yes. Sacred money doesn't go anywhere yeah. until the end, right? Into closing. That's right. And, and you know right. that's when you can release it. Do you have any questions? Because I had another one. Yeah. <laughs> like a, title. You know, we trying to move these pro we, we trying to move these deals quickly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. We're trying to move these these properties quickly, right? Yeah, right. All types of disruptions happening. <laughs> Just like <laughs> so we're trying to move these properties. That wasn't a kid, that was a stranger, right? So <laughs> um title. When does title come in, right? Because some I've seen some attorneys wait almost to like the the end, right? And we know when there's title issues, now you gotta wait another whatever amount of time to get those clear. So when would be the best time for the attorney? Or who who is who's pulling title? Buyers attorneys pulling title, and then this or the seller's attorney. So buyers attorneys, the buyers attorney is pulling title. Um, for me, like for me, I I just because again timing is important. Timing is everything. And if there are title issues, I would rather that we would get them addressed earlier than wait to the very last minute. Um, just because, like, you never know. You never know what could happen. I, as a general rule for me in my practice, uh, we try to I, I, I try to order title as soon as we get a fully executed contract. Um, okay. Because, because it's, again, you never know what can come up in title. The, let's even just talk about the whole purpose of title. Title is... The whole purpose of title, I call that the, the legal investigation because, you know, you have the financial investigation, underwriting and all those things where they check into the purchaser's ability to actually purchase. They look at their debt and all that stuff, their credit and all that stuff. But then for the title side, you have the the legal investigation. I call it the legal investigation because that's me. My responsibility as the buyer's attorney is to make sure that the seller can actually sell the property. Now, what that mm -hmm. means is does the seller own the property 100 does it 100 own the property is there someone else who owns the property who might say hey i'm not interested in selling is there a situation where there might be tax liens or mechanics liens or uh, or judgments against the seller or criminal investigations against the seller that will prevent them from being able to actually sell the property when we get to closing are there issues with my buyer doesn't are there bankruptcies against my buyer are there bankruptcies against the seller are there are there right fines and bills or, or things like that that they haven't paid car car notes that like they haven't paid ticket, stuff like that yeah, up, right any of that stuff could potentially hinder a closing you wouldn't be you'd be surprised like are there any governmental violations against the property are mm. there any ecb violations or or hpd violations or uh, i'm sorry uh, environmental control board violations or uh, housing and public development hpd yeah, HPD. That was it. Yeah. Are those are, are there any of those violations against the property? Because those are against the seller. Is the seller going to address them? Right. Know, is the seller going to address those issues before they get to the closing? Oh well, as a seller, I just want to sell my house. I'll take care of it at closing. Okay, but are there fines associated with those violations? Yeah. Do you have a responsibility to cure those violations as well? Because then that could take more time. And if they're not addressed within a certain amount of time uh, prior to closing, it could push out the closing and then you have a whole nother issue on your hands. So right. I personally, I am of the mindset that I would rather know the challenges that we're going to face before, like early on, before we get too close to closing, because even a title search could take two to three weeks. 
or four weeks, depending on the amount of stuff that the person has. You know, so there's a lot that goes into it. And there's a lot that you want to clear up. Yeah. Entitled in Brooklyn, Queens. I'm not too sure about the Bronx, but it's just, there's always some kind of issue on a lot of titles in Brooklyn, Queens. It's always, like, it's a lot of work to get through that. And it holds up a lot of deals. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I... I looked up a, I looked up properties. So before I, I list a property, I go to the Department of Buildings. I go through I go through all the ECB. I do all those things to see if there's any violations against the property. But guess what? Lo and behold, I went. I did all of that. I thought I was in the clear. Yeah. About to close. Mm-hmm. Title. What happened? There was a violation. Now this lady, the lady owned the property for over. I think she lived in it for thirty years. Right before she purchased a property back in 1995. Wow. 1995. Yep. She, the, the permit for this electrical, small electrical thing was not addressed. Yep. yep. Delayed, delayed. And then now, you know, with post-COVID where everything is like, before it was slow, now it's even like slower. <laughs> Uh-oh. We had to. She had yeah. to go straight up to the Department of Buildings. You know, uh-huh. this older woman and kind of give her story because I was like, "Listen, this is what you gotta do. <laughs> like, you gotta go up there and let them know you're trying to close your house." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so she went uh-huh. up to the Department of Buildings and she spoke to them, and it moved a little faster than than before. That you know, it moved a little faster, but it's still like that title. And you know, and I gotta call the attorney because I'm working on something else. I'm like, you need to pull title. <laughs> And, and sometimes people, yeah, yeah, like title, title's not something you want to wait on. I really don't think yeah. it is something you want to wait on. Like to me, that to me is something that should be done immediately, like within yes. the first five days right. after you have a fully executed contract. Like I've had, I've had situations where, you know, um, I've dealt with other other attorneys, and I'm like, have you pulled title? And they're like, no, we haven't pulled it yet. And I'm like, okay, well, what are we what are we waiting on? I mean. Yeah, if there are issues, out, yeah, I would rather us just get let's deal with it. Yes. Do you guys have to pay out of pocket for title? Don't you charge it to the closing costs? Like, why? Why would attorney delay? It's part of the closing costs, right? So it's part of the uh, responsibility of the. So, for example, title ends up getting taken for both the seller and the buyer. Both parties end up paying title. The seller pays it as part of their closing costs, and the the buyer ends up paying uh, title fees as well. Um, And it involves everything like i mean they they in terms of doing all that research they also do the we also do the recording and things like that for the um for the new purchaser got it got okay. it yeah so-, <laughs> so what made you choose um this as your base for your company for um as an attorney what what um was this a passion or like did you grow up knowing this is what you were going to uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up knowing I was going to be doing it. I, I initially, it's funny, I actually started when I first moved to New York. I was in banking, I was in uh, uh, doing sanctions work like anti money laundering, all this types of stuff. And were you, you a know, money laundering? Work- huh? You were money laundering? <laughs> <laughs> you said anti money laundering, yeah, anti money laundering. Oh, sorry, anti money laundering. Yes, anti money laundering. Yes, sorry. And and so we, I was doing that, but I was I was working for this consulting firm, and just the, the work started getting so 
so it was the work was good, but it was just the hours were nuts. I mean, they we were working till three o'clock in the morning, traveling a lot. And at that point, I had just had like little babies, and I was like, you know what, this is not worth it. And so um, then I was like, you know what, I'm ready. I'm, I was ready to kind of jump out there. I had started off in uh, doing like business law and, and real estate law, and I've done some estate planning. And then it wasn't until I started really focusing on just real estate law and things really started just really just working. Like things just started working. I just found it interesting. And I got not to say that I won't go back to estate planning and business law, but um, it just was things were just working out for me. And I just was was uh, I just felt like I just started picking it up and I met some great people and um, and and it's been great. And so I saw it kind of just kind of it just stuck, you know. How many properties do you own? Uh, I own one. I own one property right now. I'm, I'm working. I'm working on getting some more now. So it's. Uh, I'm kind of. I'm. I'm. I'm I got a couple of deals for you. We we'll talk offline. I got you, Elman. I got you. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, cash, man. Right? All cash. <laughs> okay. Definitely. And then Elman has a. That's a plug. But he has a book that actually tells about his story. Yes. How, yes. Right? Went oh, from you. You know, the, oh, the, the, the transactions. I mean, how to your your process of the how you got here, yeah. transition into what you're doing now. Yes, so. yes. Thank you for that plug. Our book is called Look Up. It's on Amazon. You can also, you can, if you're interested in going to Amazon, that's great. If you want to call me for it, I can send it to you with an autographed copy. Call you. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely yes, need yes. to plug in our phone, our our phone number. Yeah. Well, Elman, how can people reach you if they are interested in your book and maybe they need an attorney for a transaction? How can they reach you, Elman? Oh, great. You can reach me by uh, my phone. My phone number is three four seven, and I may actually put it in here too. In the oh. Oh, anyway, Put it in the chat. my phone number is, uh, is 347-280-3810. Uh, again, it's uh, 347-280-3810. And my email is just elman, E-L-M-A-N, dot Woodson, W-O-O-D-S-O-N, at Woodson, W-O-O-D-S-O-N, dash law.com. And I'll put that in the chat here as well. Yeah, and in Melba, how can people reach you if they want to purchase that property in Bed-Stuy? Exactly. 348A Hancock Street. Anyway, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me, 646-787-5899. 646, for the people who didn't get it. 787-5899. And then you can email me, Melba. See my name right there? I-M-E-L-B-A at KW.com. Yes, and um, you can reach me at Chris underscore Nina um, Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. Also, you can call me at 516-506-3284. Before we go, let's just say something positive because I feel like we beat up so many tenants in this show. There are great tenants (laughs) out there. I didn't beat up anybody. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. No, I'm just kidding. No, we didn't. We did kind of... Sometimes you go through some things, but there are some great tenants out there who are um, just amazing to have live in your building and take care of the property as if they own it. And sometimes they they could be in the property for 20 years. Like it's just where you see their kids, like you're raising their kids with them. Um, I agree. So my statement is treat people how you want to be treated. So I will treat any of my tenants 
how I would want to be treated and make sure that their apartment looks like how someplace where I would want to live. And, and Elman, any, any positive words you want to say before we go? Uh, yeah, the real estate is fun. Real estate is exciting. There's a lot of, a lot of opportunity there. Um, just be smart, you know, make sure you have your contracts ticked and tied off and you also develop, get your team together. And so that way you can jump in and you won't have any uh, concerns about the future. Yep. yep. And thanks, T Mac, for all your yes. If you were on my stoop, you'd have been out. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> thank everyone for. T- I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week. And have a blessed evening. Good night. All Bye. right.